Welcome to Behind the Art, a podcast developed by Rockhampton Museum of Art. In each episode of Behind the Art, we unlock hidden treasures and activities of the creative sector with a focus on visual arts. Conversations with artists, collectors, curators, conservators, researchers, educators, and so many more. They will demystify the world that is visual arts. Join us as we take you behind the art. Nakima is Kuku Yalanji, Koa and Miriam artist and community arts practitioner based in Warabinda, Queensland. She graduated from high school in 2011, where she found her passion for photography and visual art. After completing a certificate four in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Arts last year, she's gone on to study a diploma in visual arts at the far north Queensland TAFE. Her background is in youth and community services, and she is committed to empowering community through arts and community development. So we have Nikima, a photographer, fashion designer, painter, jeweller, jack of all trades. Is there anything that you don't do? Um, well, there's a lot of things I'm not good at yet, I think, um, but I like to give everything a go. It's like the more different art mediums that you use, it's just the more ways you can communi- uh, communicate and make art with. So how did all this happen? You come from a very creative family, your mother, Samantha, your uncle, Avron, your younger brother. What what was it that drove this creative family? Well, well, as First Nations mob, art is literally in our blood. Like you might hear it as a cliche and think it's, yeah, well, pretty much most people in my family are creative in some capacity and I feel like it is just something that does come natural, especially with First Nations cultural values and the way that um, our uh, people are. So my dad and my mum both had me when they were in second year at university doing their Bachelor of Art Um, and pretty much most of my family are in the arts as well, uh, whether they're carvers, music, singers, all sorts of aspects of it. But um, culturally, my dad's family is from the Torres Strait, so I guess I'll do a little impromptu introduction. So I am a uh, Cook and Yalinji, Kawa and Miriam woman, sorry. So I'm from the rainforest, the bush and the sea. So there's a real kind of aspect there where I'm just kind of pulled to all different environments and I really have that strong connection that I feel everywhere. So being in central Queensland, even though this isn't my country, I do get bits of both worlds. I go out to the coast, I work out in community and uh, every now and then I do travel around. So going back to my family, my dad's Torres Strait. So our uh, family comes back from 13 generations ago from uh, from up in the Torres Straits on Stephen Island. So the language name for that is Uga. And our family stemmed from three brothers. They were chief sons and our ancestor was passed down the responsibilities of craft and medicine. So that's um, a lot of making with your hands and, you know, all the things, you know. (laughs) And then my mum's family 
there's just so many different aspects and stories that need to be told. Mum's um, family has a lot of like stolen generation and there's been a lot of stuff that's uh, come about from that and it's just something that is natural. So my brother is also an artist. Uh, I kind of started doing art since I was little, like I was born into it. Um, whenever my parents were doing installations or public artworks, I was always there, like running around and then just did it at school, did it in high school, studied some, a course which was back in Cairns. So there was a Torres Strait Islander certificate course in, uh, sorry, what was it called? It was the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander certificate in art. Um, so I got to kind of explore a lot of that. And since then I've just been working as an artist and exhibiting around the place, uh, moving down here to work in community with youth work. And I've come full circle back to the arts now. So, And how amazing is yeah. that? Like you were, your mum was pregnant with you as she was studying at, at art school. And so a lot yeah. of that nurture. It's pretty funny because mum... Uh, always jokes around that because she was pregnant, she didn't get to study um, photography because of all the chemicals that were doing analog photography. And her teacher was Robert Mercer, who runs the Wollongabba Art Gallery. So every time we run into them, they're always just reminiscing about that because I also do photography. So she says that because she didn't, I was able to come out and do photography. My brother also does a lot of mixed media and uh, photographic digital works. And I just think that's where the generation that's now is that most artists um, and young people are all online, but they're just really adaptable to the ever-changing world and what's going on. It and we all grow crazy. up with a phone in our hand now. Yeah. And I think that um, I don't know whether that's made it easier or harder. I feel like young people now are in a place where it where it is difficult to communicate, especially around um, what's happening in their lives and how they're bringing that forward through their art. So having this device, it's, it, I don't know if that makes it harder or easier to become an artist. It's very competitive as well. So I don't know. Um, there's kind of like pros and cons to that. Mm. Yeah. And you have a, you've mentioned young people more so than most people that I've met you have such support and ambition and belief in, in young people. Where does that come from? Um, I don't think it's just for young people in general. It's just I know how important the arts are to myself and to my family. It is a form of expression. It's your voice. It's an empowerment. And I feel like First Nations people and, uh, well, young people, anyone really deserves to have art in their life because it is a, it can be a form of therapy or an outlet for a lot of people and it is a way to hear and see people's stories, especially those who might not have a voice and young people are kind of the most marginalised and vulnerable of that demographic and obviously always have a passion and always advocating on behalf of my people and my mob and working in community for so long, it's you see how art can impact and change stuff. Um, and it's a connection back to 
tapping into that voice, but also tapping into your identity. And I feel like that is such a powerful tool and it should be something that everyone can do or create, especially um, in community. So some people who are listening might not know much about the Warabinda community. So we're just... And that's where you're living at the moment. Yeah. So I actually moved just outside of Warabinda. So I, I kind of took a really, really long break from the arts and I've, re- I've come back into it just because there's a necessity there. Like I need to do art, otherwise I get sick. It's, I don't know if I sound crazy, but all the artists get it. Um, so I'm not sure who's listening. Uh, so I'm just outside in Baralaba. So it's about 30 minutes from Warabinda. So Warabinda is just 200 k's from Rocky. There's a population of about 1,000 people and 50% of that population is under 25, you know. So that's a big number of young people and there's not a lot of um, opportunities and job prospects in community. And when you talk about young people, what age group are you referring to? Well, I think it's it's youth is such a weird definition because it depends who you're talking to, whether it's the government or youth services or what, they always change what the category of youth means. But I I would assume until that person feels like they're not a youth anymore or until they are regarded as something else. Um, most people classify that as under 25, but some people classify it as under 30. It's pretty broad aspect. And I think that these terminologies are um, they don't really fit into cultural terminologies or values. Like there is sort of a um, hierarchy of responsibility in some um, cultural groups, whereas, you know, in community, uh, historically it was set up as a um, settlement when the Tarum settlement closed down. So it's a mixture of people who have come from 52 different tribal groups. So they were removed from their country and forcibly removed to relocate and work there, whether they went through the dormitories or, you know, a lot. Of, there's a lot of history. So I really encourage anyone to do their research because it's really interesting. Like, there, yes, there is a lot of horrific stuff that happened, but knowing our history just makes our future a lot easier to navigate no matter what cultural background you're coming from. Um, and I just find it fascinating to just know about the people that we're around. So there's a lot of really interesting history in Rocky as well. Um, But going back to the point, it's that there's a lot of responsibility and pressure on young people and we need to relieve that in some way, whether it's actually listening more or encouraging them to participate more because... There is a system where it just, it's not working quite how it should be. Um, there's a lot of pressure on, it, especially in the arts, it's really hard for emerging people to, to come up in the ranks unless they have a, a way in or they have someone that they know of or whatever. So having programs that encourage young people to just feel okay in their space and feel like they have a voice and feel like there are ways that they can chase their dreams or um, gain some skills from other people. So, you know, Rocky Gallery have a lot of 
options there and support. And these are all our future artists as well. So it's really important that we do that. Otherwise, we're just creating a system that's it's going to not continue. Um, yeah. And were there opportunities that you received younger you, not that you're not young now, but younger you, were there opportunities well, that you received along the way? I feel like there's more now. Um, like there's been a, a big shift around the arts recently and especially around First Nations arts recently. Like we are all, like First Nations mob and um, communities always know all this stuff already, but it's not publicly out there. Like there's been a lot of firsts in the last 20 years, like the even just having certificate courses that are acknowledging um, First Nations arts or um, having galleries or establishments that are there to support this, like this whole concept of Aboriginal and First Nations arts or Torres Strait arts or whatever hasn't really been um, defined um, and it hasn't really been supported as much as it has now and there's still like a long way to go. And I think now that we do have technology, people are seeing it a lot more and will continue on that and it is that uh, voice that we'll see. Um, So I guess like coming full circle, uh, we've just come out of this lockdown in Queensland anyway. I'm feeling for all of the other states who are still affected by this and we've just, um, these are conversations that have really, I guess, been highlighted is what are we going to do? You know, (laughs) we've just come through this really crazy time in the last six months. And so I guess working in isolation as an arts worker and a community worker, but also as an artist and what that connection means to country if you're away from country and you can't leave the house or what, what effect does that have on your mental health or your family or your elders? Um, having those conversations and just saying to everyone, it's okay, you know, mental health is okay. It's okay to have all these problems and there's just so much pressure on everyone, especially young people. And I just want everyone to know that it is okay. Sometimes you can't get everything done. And that's something I've had to accept over the last couple of months. So my uh, exhibition, which is actually still up at the moment till next Friday in Biloela with uh, Katina Elliott. Um, she's running a program with some of the hospitals in Biloela and Gladstone. So I did a series of watercolour artworks around my being and my state of being, especially in amongst this pandemic and what that means on that spiritual connection to country and what that means as being a First Nations artist. Um, It's been tricky, like, working in community. Um, I was working at the Red Cross for five years, so I wasn't actually doing a lot of art. And now coming back into it, it is just such a relief and it's just, it's like, I don't know if I could think of a terminology, it's like, speaking your own language. I don't speak a second language, but this is just what I'm imagining. It's just comfortable and you can get a lot done and you can still work on your passions and advocate for all the things through your art practice and by encouraging more skill building capacity and 
um, advocating for other things and just making change, you can still do that with your strength. And it doesn't have to be art, whatever your personal skill set is, you can always do um, what you want with that. And you are such a driving force for the Warabinder community, um, for the arts particularly, and you've worked on a number of projects that really support and enhance and provide opportunities to young people. And now you've been out in community for a couple of years. What would have been some of the greatest projects that you've been able to work on so far with community and what positive impacts have you already seen happening? Yeah, well, art actually uh, drew me in and that's kind of the reason I'm in community. So um, back in 2013, I came out there to visit my mum for Christmas, but I ended up not spending as much time with her and I ended up just meeting all the elders there and sitting down and talking with them and recording their stories and I ended up doing a series of portraits the next month. So I did 32 artworks in a week and I ended up having a solo show up in Cairns um, based around the referendum. So I did portrait drawings around some of the elders from Warabinda, some of my uh, family from Sherberg and Yarrabah and my grandmother, um, also Vernon Aki in Brisbane. Um, so that was a point in time where I think... I was 17 then, so it was like my th- first pivoting moment to really deep dive and to hear people's stories because, you know, a lot of the time we don't get to learn about First Nations history or our own history at school and, you know, there is that anger when you find out what happened, especially if it's to your own people and your own family. And I'm also um, dyslexic and I have some anxiety and stuff like that. So art is really a way where I can deep dive and just holistically understand people and make that connection. So through that I got to talk to people around their experiences and it was I'm just so grateful for having that experience because there, there are some really amazing, strong people and like the, I have the utmost respect for all of those elders and I got to share some of that and just highlight something that's not talked about. So a lot of people in Cairns who were familiar with some of my art back then, it was not like this and I never really did portraiture and I learnt that I could draw faces and so it was a big learning uh, milestone for me. I had my first solo show like three months before that and it was was more softer works and watercolours. It was still playing on that theme around um, searching for identity and uh, these missing pieces that we have like you know, because of stuff that's happened throughout history, we don't know our language. We don't know all of our family. We are still trying to find those things. And then some places, you know, we don't have our country anymore. So there are a lot of different themes and aspects and my art is a way that I kind of explore my own identity and journey um, and a way that I can make connections and talk about the things that I want to. Um, So from that, (laughs) coming back to the, the point, I ended up, having that exhibition and then I got to bring it down to Warabinda uh, a couple months after that and then the hospital commissioned me to do a series of photos with some of the young girls there 
and so they're still actually hanging up in the hospital. Um, and a lot of those images went into a show that I had at the State Library. So I had uh, a series of works um, from Morabinda called The Existence and it was about the... Um, it was about the strength and the beauty and the uniqueness of our Aboriginal women and about uh, stereotypes because if you think about it, if you've ever seen the language map that Iatsis did, you can see how many different clan groups and tribal groups there are. Like Aboriginal people aren't all the same no matter what region you're on. All of our customs are different. All of our languages are different. So you can imagine how many different uh countries I guess if you if that's that's a term um that's easier to uh I guess imagine is that you've got so many of these different people all together in Australia and most of those languages are gone now you know and all of our women all look different and being a lighter skinned woman with curly hair, I get all of the different questions, you know. People just assume things and assume that Aboriginal people look a certain way or act a certain way and um, also Torres Strait and South Sea Islander. So there's a lot of different things that we have to deal with being light-skinned, um, where, whether it's lateral violence or, um, sorry, not lateral violence, uh, lateral racism from our own people or racism from the outside and people just saying you don't look Aboriginal, you don't look a certain way. Or I always get the term exotic, which I hate. I hate it when people <laughs> call me exotic or when they touch my hair and stuff like that because it, there are little things that have we have that have been passed down from that intergenerational trauma where it's like we weren't considered human beings until that referendum, which was only in 1967. So there are a lot of really crazy things and there's just some things that still come across, like even though I hadn't experienced it, being padded and stuff like that or being asked if I'm a tourist in my own country or I get um, asked if I'm like Turkish or Portuguese or um, Caribbean or all sorts of things and it's like, when you're a light-skinned or interracial person, you're kind of like this ambiguous shade of brown. No one knows what you are. Um, and it kind of, it can be a strength as well because you can, it's, it can be an armour in a way because you can be who you want to be and you can kind of dictate how you talk and how people see you. Um, but for people who don't have that skill, it can be very traumatising. Um, so... A lot of my works have drawn around a lot of these themes. There was also a series of work called Connections um, that were in that same exhibition, which were portraits of young girls up in Cairns on different, uh, in, in different environments who were either from that country or not from that country. So that was playing around disconnection. And I had sculpted these crowns that they wore out of different Native materials that were on the set of where we took the photos out of like flowers and uh, sticks and stuff like that. So it was playing on that that notion of connection and disconnection because we have a lot of our people who are still disconnected and lost and then we have people who are on their country, people who aren't on their country. And so it's just just 
bringing that into conversation in a pretty way. I don't, I don't know if pretty is the right word, but in a way that's, um, you know, easy to consume because. Digestible. It, yeah, hey? it is. It's hard to talk about some things, but I think if you're creating safe spaces, especially no matter who you're talking with and especially with young people because they soak up everything. Um, and I just know that art for me has been a way to have these hard conversations with some people. So since 2013 I was coming back each year to work with the young people during school holidays and it just it built up and it built up where there was just such a high need because there wasn't um, a lot of art in community or there weren't a lot of First Nations artists that were publicly known, I guess, um, because they're everywhere. There's a lot of artists in all of our mob, but uh, because of lack of opportunities, it's sometimes hard to see them. Um, so since then I moved there and worked at Red Cross as a youth worker, worked with the elders around community programming, we had a fashion show in community. We had our youth festivals. We've done so much stuff. We did road trips. We've done so many things. And if you if you keep hearing the word Boravinda, it's because, you know, all these young people are coming in strides with all of their achievements and all of their creative stuff, and there's going to be more out there. We've got singers, musicians, all, everyone, you and know. Boravinda is such a creative place. Like I've had the fortune of visiting you and community out there. It has amazing vocalists. It has significant performers. So what's it like um, after sometimes feeling so marginalised and so isolated and to actually be surrounded by such amazing creative people? Is it, in, is it inspiring for you also? Does it influence you positively? Because um, the isolation isn't really a thing to community. It's just that community is isolated from everyone else. So most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities all know that our mobs are amazingly talented because of our culture, like dancing, singing, mark-making, science, navigation, all of these things are in our blood. And so, um, and sports as well, like you're seeing so many sportsmen, like it's it just these are things that come naturally and when you give people the opportunity um, they pick it up really quick and, you know, there have been a couple of really heartwarming experiences that I got to have with some young people and knowing them since they were little and then just seeing them blossom into the amazing, powerful creatives that they are and you're just going to see a lot more of that happening now that we we have more of a voice and a backing now and... Coming back to the arts since last year, um, so there was a series of programming that I did last year. We had our, art, our Warabinda Arts Exhibition in Rockhampton and the My Home, Your Home Exhibition with the Rockhampton Gallery back in March last year, which was a really heartwarming one. It was very wholesome working with the primary school children and just giving them a platform to talk and to communicate, but also just have the brain space to think about what home and family means to them. Because that's something that we don't think about is giving ourselves 
time to really think about who we are and how we fit into the world and um, everybody is different and unique, but especially hearing from people who we wouldn't necessarily hear from. So having, I think the youngest artists were about five or six. So we worked with the year twos up to the year six, sevens. Um, and that was a really powerful exhibition from those young people with a lot of interactive different types of uh, artworks and we got to bring them all into the gallery when we had two busloads of primary school students who have never been into a gallery before, which was amazing. And that would be life-changing for them and just yeah. the- they the always knowledge. ask when they, when they can come back and when they're going to be doing more So art. good. But and the knowledge that they could be an artist and yeah. the pathways for them. Yeah, like there was something, um, I can't remember what the event was, uh, but I've just been hearing it more and more from young people that they want to be a musician or they want to be a photographer or they want to be a dancer or they want to be more than what their parents could be, you know. I'm not talking about their physical parents, but I'm talking about if we think from the last generation, there were not a lot of opportunities. Like especially in community, there's not the um, unemployment rate in community is about 77%, which is pretty shocking, but there's just no opportunities. Um, Like there are a lot of like mixed feelings about um, black mob on welfare and, all of that sort of stuff and people not understanding, well, why can't they move and find jobs and other things? But there's a lot of uh, complexities around these issues and it's it's if, like if you think about it as a small town, you know, small towns, there are buildings that they can rent out to start their businesses or other um, resources that um, they have access to, you know. So it's like why can't it be the same in community? Because you're seeing a lot of people who... Um, because there's not a lot of job opportunities at the moment that they're wanting to start up their own businesses. Like that's how much of a need and a drive there are from community. So there, there are a lot of Indigenous businesses um, that have been popping up in the last 20, 30 years and there's going to be more in the future. And I think now that we're getting some supports within the arts and with Indigenous business and especially with technology as well, um, it's going to just kind of reframe how communities work and how um, the people there can control what they want to do and how they live their life. Uh, we, I, <laughs> I kind of have a lot of hats. This is what I like to say when people ask what I do because I kind of work in uh, Indigenous business and tech and arts and all sorts of things. So we had There's not um, enough words to describe I, what you do. <laughs> I do too much. That's probably why I talk too fast if you're struggling to keep up a little bit. Um, but it is a, like we're filming on a Wednesday and it is a gloomy afternoon out here. It's raining and it's a, it's a good day to have a yarn. Um, so we had Indigenous Digital Excellence come out to community. I'm one of their uh, ambassadors or the friends of IDX. Um, so they came out a couple of years ago and we did some drone flying on country and some coding, uh, some stuff with virtual reality and robotics and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really keen to continue uh, just empowering mob through providing access with technology because a lot of people think that um, we have the internet. Like I only just got internet this year 
And it's because I moved out of Warabinda and I'm yeah. in Baralaba now. I haven't so, had yeah, internet in community, for five years. There isn't actually full access. Yeah, like there's just a number of things like housing, all sorts of all sorts of things. And yeah, there's a lot of just barriers and issues that um, people have to overcome as well. Like even myself, I'm a sole trading business, but I've had to stop and start my business because of lots of different reasons. And I'm trying to start back up and get back into focusing a little bit of time on my own parts because it's always important that we strengthen ourselves and nurture ourselves so that we can continue to supporting other people. Um, So I've been working closely with my brother since he's graduated uni and moved in with me. Um, So we're we're working on a new fashion collection with First Nations Fashion and Design and just going through the last couple of months and all the things that we've had to had to absorb or hear about um, through social media or through the news uh, and just how, how do you contextualise that and what does that mean? So, um, yeah, we're, yeah, well, I certainly think that the youth of today and the leaders of tomorrow are very fortunate to have someone like you guiding them, investing in their learning and, and the opportunities. And I personally love the future that you're, you know, that you're building with them. I think we're fortunate and certainly have great hope that the years that we've recently been through can only get better for community and for mob as we, yeah, provide more, allow more support and let them let them do what they want to do. Yeah, and I think that's a really important note to finish up with is just allowing spaces for people to talk and places for people to listen. So I have been yarning to the amazing Nakima Williams, many hats and so many projects to work on. It's been wonderful yarning a bit with you, but I'm sure with one of your other hats, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me and hope everyone's had a good year so far in amongst everything. Behind the Art is brought to you by Rockhampton Museum of Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing as there will be more releases every week. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find them at the Rockhampton Museum of Art website or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for all the latest news and information about the Rockhampton arts community and exciting new developments coming soon. Thank you.